Good uh, evening, everybody. Welcome again to Sunday Night Local. Uh, this is the second in the series of the Armour of God and uh, following on from what Pastor Steve spoke about last week. So um, today I will be talking about two aspects of that armour, uh, specifically the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. But before I do that, I want to just recap on some of the points that Steve raised because you know, this topic is so fundamentally important for us to operate as effective Christians that we can't afford to gloss over this. It's just a nice little story um, or a few points of teaching, make a few notes and then close the book and forget all about it. It is fundamental to being an effective Christian um, because we need to be aware that, as Steve said, we are spiritual beings. And secondly, we are in a battle. The fact that we can't physically see it does not mean it's not happening. Um, and we are subject to it in our waking hours and our hours of sleep. So if we're not prepared correctly, we can leave ourselves very vulnerable. Um, on the basis, of course, that we want to fight and we want to run the race. Uh, if if um, you want cosy Christianity with no power, um, and just have a bus ticket home, then, uh, you know, maybe then then the focus on this is, is all a bit too much hard work. But if you see what the purpose is, as Paul said, he ran a race, he um, compared himself to an athlete and compared himself to a soldier. And for us to be effective, and as has been spoken about in the past, particularly through Pastor Andy, about um, reward, then we need to be fully prepared um, to be effective in, in, in life and to see our local community change. So if I can just go back to um, one or two verses in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 11. Uh, Put on the armour of God so that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And verse 12 says, we do not fight against flesh and blood. So um, there's a few principles here and we need to recognise that uh, as in verse 11 and 12, we need to be prepared and um, we need to understand what being prepared actually means. Um, the, the armour has to be appropriate. Uh, it can't be any old armour. Um, if you look at some of the old uh, cavalry soldiers, I think it was the Tartars, they fought, they wanted to be swift on horseback. They couldn't afford to wear armour so they used to wear silk. Now you think, well, that's not gonna be much protection, but they accepted they may get an arrow, but the silk didn't rip, so they could pull the arrow out and it was clean. Whereas at the time, maybe the Western armies were laden down with armor. If you look at, was it the Battle of Cressy or the Battle of Agincourt? It was the armor that caused the French to be defeated because they sunk into the mud and they couldn't get up. So it's got to be the appropriate armor for the task. And it's a spiritual battle. So the armour is not related to physical things. It has to be armour that is spiritual. So I wanted to give you a few examples of where the inappropriateness of a, an attack or a defence, even though with good intention, proved to be fatal. And I want to give just two examples um, from history. Uh, the first one in the not-so-distant past, um, the beginning of World War II, 1939. It was probably between September 1st, September 3rd of 1939. The Germans had started advancing into Poland. 
and there was a little village, and if I get it spelt right, it's Kurjanti, uh, and the Polish cavalry were amassed at that village, and they attacked the German infantry. Um, now, there are stories about they attacked tanks, but that may not be true, and I don't want to offend any Polish people where it's a misrepresentation of the truth. Um, but they attacked armoured vehicles and they attacked the infantry. And initially they were quite successful because it was a bit of a shock, I suppose, to the German army to see men charging at them with swords and with uh, on, on horseback. But it was a failure. And the main general in Germany at the time, General von Rundstedt, said, The Polish cavalry attacked heroic, heroically. In general, the bravery and hero heroism of the Polish army merits great respect. But the highest command was not equal to the demands of the situation. So we can um, say we're putting on the armour of God, but operate in the flesh. And it will be ineffective because it's not appropriate for the situation. The second one, 1854, the famous charge of the Light Brigade. Now, this wasn't so much about the appropriateness, but it was due to miscommunication and misinformation that they charged the wrong place, ill-prepared, and as we know from the poem by Tennyson, um, they got severely beaten. Um, and the Russians said how brave the British were, yet they lost. So we need to understand it's not about passion. It's not about boldness. It's not about bravery in our own strength, but it is about appropriateness. So unless we operate with the right um, weapons, uh, the right armour, and recognise that it's spiritual and just huffing and puffing and trying our best, it will avail to nothing, as these two stories show. Uh, so back in um, Ephesians 6, 11, it talks about the wiles of the enemy, the wiles of the devil. So what are the wiles of the devil? Now, as we know, um, particularly when you see anything to do with um, cosmetics, you get a cosmetic that comes out and it says the greatest, the best. And then two years later, new, revised, improved formula. And you think, well, if it's the best, how can it be better now? Um, so the world keeps on rebranding itself. Um, but the devil doesn't rebrand himself. He doesn't need to because what he does works. Uh, he keeps people in ignorance. Um, but also he causes a lot of Christians to stumble because he uses his wiles to distract Christians. And he tried it on Jesus as well, as we will see in a moment. So the devil is a deceiver. So that's what it is on the packet. He is a deceiver. And if we look in Revelation 27, it says, when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from prison and will come out to deceive the nations. Now that's not just reserved for the millennium. That's been since the Garden of Eden, if not before, because he was had iniquity in his heart from before them. So what is it then that he uses as tools that we have to guard against? Firstly, he challenges God's word. Now, of course, if we don't know God's word, which we'll come to in a subsequent week, if we don't know God's word, then a challenge doesn't have to be that robust. Um, but we see in Genesis 3, 1, where... The devil came to Eve and said, did God really say? So he was challenging the truth about God. And are we that good when we see quotes on social media that quotes the Bible? 
Are we thinking, no, that doesn't sound right. That's not the Bible I've read. Do we just get sucked in and start putting thumbs up on Facebook to say that was a really great, but it's not even truth. So we need to understand that we mustn't get drawn into deception based on um, being not being aware of God's word. The second thing is he challenges our identity. He tried it with Jesus in Luke 4, 1 to 13. He in the temptations, he was testing Jesus's identity. If you are, if you are. So he's now there was no argument. Um, he twists scripture. Even in the temptation of Jesus, he takes things out of context. And how often do we take things out of context when it comes to talking about the Bible? Oh, well, the Bible says this, the Bible says that, but we don't take it in context. So if we look at um, Psalm 91, uh, verse 11 and 12, but then miss verse 13. So the devil basically said, um, talking about the angels, for he will order his angels to protect you wherever you go. They will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Now you think, that's great. I can do anything because God's going to do it for me. But that's tempting God. People who say, well, I'm just going to do it. And if God doesn't want me to, he'll stop me. Well, that's not true um, because it's misrepresenting the word of God. But verse 13 that the devil chose not to read. You will trample upon lions and cobras and you will crush fierce lions and serpents under your feet. He didn't want Jesus. He didn't want to remind Jesus of that bit. He wanted to remind him that out of context, the angels would protect him. And uh, how often do we do that? Well, God, if it's not right, God will protect me. And we leave ourselves vulnerable because we've listened to lies and deceit. Um, he prompts us to be disobedient. Um, doesn't matter if you do that. He gets us to positions of compromise. Um, I'll, I'll do something, but I can't do all of that. And that's not what we're called. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be committed. Um, you know, with, with compromise, how easy is it? Well, I don't want to offend my friends. Um, I'll go along this far, but I won't go that far. I'll just have a few drinks. I won't have any drinks. If it's in a compromising position with somebody who may be an alcoholic, for example, you have to be clean and you cannot afford to compromise. So the walls of the devil are not full frontal attacks quite often. They're very subtle and they play through your mind and through circumstance. And unless we fully understand the word of God and we understand truth, which we'll be coming to in a moment, then we're already set up for a failure. When the, um, the commander of the Polish troops was lining up, I don't think he was under any illusion <laughs> what task was be set before him, but he did it anyway. Um, and it was heroic. But do we want to be seen as people who tried our best and failed? Or do we want to not try our best, but let God do his best through us and succeed? So that's why this session about the armour of God is really, really important. Because unless we really understand it and apply it in our lives, then we will fail. And we'll be continually going around the mountain. And I've done that enough times. So I'm not um, just sitting here um, passing judgment on every other Christian on the face of the earth. I mean, I've had my significant challenges through the years. But it all comes down to these principles of being deceived. And not um, 
guarding my heart, which is another thing we'll come to in a minute. So, um, as, as we say, God is a spirit and we must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in other places, worship is aligned with service. So God is a spirit and we must serve in spirit and in truth. We're not called to serve in the flesh. We're called to serve in the spirit. Now you think, well, how do I act as a spirit being? Well, um, in John 3, 6, in John 3, 6 to 8, it says um, humans can represent only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So do not be surprised when I say you must be born again. So again, it's a bit of um, the word born again is often seen as a fundamentalist thing. Oh, you're not one of those fundamental Christians that's a born again Christian, are you? Well, the truth is there is no other. You have to be born of the spirit to be of any worth. Uh, it's not about works. So we have to understand that we are spirit beings. We always have been a spirit being. We've just been separated from God. So now once we're born again, that relationship with God is restored and we must operate as spiritual beings. So when we say, oh, you've got to for forgive me for this because I'm only human, that's not a valid excuse. If you're a Christian, you are not just a mere human. You are a human now empowered with the spirit of God living within you. So you should be able to come against the walls of the devil and you should be able to live a victorious life. And how many of us can put our hands up and say, I'm doing that every minute of the day? So that's why this set, this, these three sessions, this one and the next two weeks, maybe three weeks, are so critical because if we're going to take this seriously and when we are able to reconvene, then we must take the armour of God serious and not just see it as a nice little picture of bits of armour on a person. So it's no surprise then that the first thing on the list, the preeminent thing on the list of the armour, is the belt of truth. Now you think, well, surely if you're going into battle, the most important thing you need is the, the guns, the swords, the spears. But no, it's truth. Unless you have truth, because it's a spiritual battle, you are already defeated. Because where's your foundation? So we can see today, of course, that truth is in short supply. I mean, we've been bombarded through the news, through social media, about every twist and turn with regards to what's right, what's appropriate. And if we don't know the truth, we're already on really dodgy ground. Um, also tradition. Yeah, but you Christians, you do this. Well, no, that's, that's not being a Christian. That is, that's being religious. Uh, so we've got to really understand it, what truth is. And we know the answer to that because Jesus is the truth. So the Roman belt, it's not like a belt today where it's just to hold your trousers up. Um, a belt in Roman times, particularly for a soldier, was multi-purposed. Um, similar to the army today, you have utility belts. So the utility belts, whether you're in the police or in the army, you have a belt that has multifunctional. It's got lots of pockets and lots of clips to attach things to. And the Roman belt, as a Roman soldier was no different. And there were two specific things that were linked to the belt. Now bear in mind the belt represents truth. So what hangs off of truth to be effective? 
the breastplate. It's tied, otherwise you're running around, it will be flapping up in the air. So the breastplate is tied down to the belt. And of course, the scabbard for the sword is attached to the belt. So the sword is the word of God. And if, our, if what we say is not aligned with the word of God because we've been deceived, or if we are not tying our right standing with God based on truth, we will fail. So that's why um, truth is so critical. 1 John 3.18 says, let, let us show the truth by our actions. So it's not just a case of theologically saying, I know the truth, yet we don't live it. Uh, John 8.32 says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. For those who would like to do or have done the Freedom in Christ course, that is the mantra of the course. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And it, that course particularly outworks a lot of life issues where we've been so easily deceived in the past. Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, 1 Peter 2, 22 talks of Jesus and says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in him. The complete opposite to Satan, who is defined as deceit. So in that respect, we need to really understand what the truth of God is. Now, in itself, saying that doesn't answer the, the question. Um, we've got to look deeper in where do we find the truth. Now, we find the truth in Jesus and we find the truth in the word of God. So if you're not really interested in the word of God, it doesn't matter if you say when you get up in the morning, oh, I'm going to put on the belt of truth this morning. It's not a physical thing. You can't just say I'm putting it on um, virtually. You've got to live it. You've got to actually know the truth. And the truth is Jesus and it is the word of God. Now, the other interesting thing is in Ephesians 6, 14, in the King James Version, it says, therefore, having stand, therefore, having your loins girded about with truth. Now, it's an interesting thing that in that version, it talks about your loins. Now, I know it may be a sensitive subject, literally. I mean, I unfortunately got hit with a cricket ball there many years ago, years ago. So I know um, <laughs> the loins can be a sensitive thing. But the truth of the matter is in in your loins is where life begins and that's where creativity creativity is starts from um you know when you have a child it's because of that area so you've got to realize that i think the significance of that gird your loins with truth is because that is where your creativity is birthed now if you're believing lies you're going to birth a life of lies if you believe the truth, you will birth truth and you will live in truth. So we need to know the truth. And I know you could have said at the very beginning, well, it's self-explanatory. Gird yourself with the belt of truth. And I could have spent one minute on it. Well, what you do is you put truth on and then move on to the second topic. But um, we need to recognise that it's a lot. If it was that easy, we wouldn't be deceived, would we? And satan would have had to apply a different strategy but he doesn't need to because too many of us are prepared to listen what the world says 
listen to tradition, not read the Bible ourselves, but read somebody else's interpretation of it. And then we can get caught in deceit. And if we're living in deceit, we're not going to be victorious. So that's the um, belt of truth. Uh, the second thing um, is what is connected to it upwards, and that is the breastplate of righteousness. Now, why have a breastplate? Now, of course, if you're being attacked and take it in the context of um, uh, the first century, um, they didn't have submachine guns. They had arrows. They had spears. Um, it was to guard your heart. All your major organs are in that part of your body. So um, the breastplate of righteousness is to guard your heart. Now, people say, well, of course, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God makes us right with, Christ makes us right with God. 1 Corinthians 1.30 said, um, made us righteous. So you think, well, if it's the breastplate of righteousness, then we've got it, haven't we? If Jesus has done it all and we are therefore righteous, then I don't need to put it on because by definition, I am righteous. The problem is, of course, there's two aspects of that. Um, that is effectively called imputed righteousness. We are in right standing with God because of what Christ did. So it's imputed. It's nothing we have done. But equally, if you look at it um, from an outworking of righteousness, 2 Timothy 2.21, keep yourself pure and honourable. 2 Timothy 3.16, scripture teaches us to do what is right. So there's an action involved in that and we need to understand God's word and we need to do what for a lot of people today in a very liberal society where we don't need to have pure hearts, we don't need to pursue holiness, um, and those are all things of ongoing sanctification. So Hosea 10.12 says, so unto righteousness. So it's an action. We have to consciously work towards becoming righteous through the renewing of our minds and the way we live. We are called not to sin anymore. Now, Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your hearts with all vigilance for from it flow the spring of life from the abundance of a man's heart so he speaks so how can we move on to fight a battle if we don't know the truth <laughs> and we don't guard our hearts and don't protect ourselves with righteousness and that righteousness is something we have to work on uh, similar to um, armor you need to polish it to keep it gleaming um, you want to keep rust off so it doesn't seize up. And that's very true of us. It's not a I've bought a nice breastplate from um, eBay and that would do me for the rest of my life. You need to maintain it every day. You need to keep it polished because it needs to be effective in its purposes. Um, Proverbs 3, 5 to 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So in that respect, um, righteousness is a very, very, very important thing. It's not probably talked about very much comparatively because it's almost like, oh, no, I, you know, I don't want to be seen like these sanctimonious people walking around with open toed sandals and a white gown. I want I'm, I'm a I'm a normal person today. I just I'm, I'm in society. Well, yes, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. And if we are not 
desiring to pursue righteousness, then the truth is we don't know the truth. So therefore, if we don't know the truth, we're not set free. So the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness run very, very close together. And those are the first two. And they are the first two because those are the ones that give you the foundations to be able to use the rest of the armour effectively. So if you look at it um, from the perspective of without these two, how can we proceed effectively to have the sh our feet shod with the shoes of the gospel? Because we won't know the truth. How can we effectively use the shield of faith? Because our faith is based on what? <laughs> Wishful thinking? Um, to put on the helmet of salvation. Are we saying, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved. I did something wrong. But do we know who we are in Christ? Do we know what our salvation is based on? And how can we effectively use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, if we don't know what the word of God is? So these first two, righteousness and truth, are fundamental. And we should have that written above our doorpost and every day recognise that I need to know the truth and I need to live a righteous life. And that means sanctification. That means separating ourselves of the things of the world. That means not getting embroiled in pointless arguments on social media. It is about separating yourself and choosing to do what God wants you to do. And through his Holy Spirit, outwork, allow the Holy Spirit to work through us for us to be effective. Um, now, if you don't want to do that, then your best bet is to pray and repent <laughs> um, because it's no good saying, oh, I listened to a really nice chat, hopefully, on um, the armour of God. Yeah, yeah, I can see how it all relates to history and I can see, now I understand the Roman soldier better. And of course, Paul was in prison. He would have seen Roman soldiers a lot. Um, <clears throat> he understood it. And Paul, what he wanted to do was make it relevant to the times to explain how the armour worked. And people would have seen first-hand knowledge of that, probably with any rebellion or insurrection in Judea. Then they would have seen Roman soldiers going in and being highly effective. So he gave a very practical view of that. But if we don't want to do it, it's no different to God selecting Gideon. And Gideon is going to fight the Midianites. And God says to him, and there was probably about 30,000 plus people, the ones who do not want to fight, tell them to go home. And I think there was 10,000 left. So do you, are you up for the fight? Secondly, he said, there's still too many. I want to now see how they're alert and aware of the, their surroundings. So they were tested on how to drink water, either dip their head in the water or cup the water up. And it was those that cupped the water so they could still see around themselves that God selected down to 300 men um, is that what the the church is going to look like in the coming months that people who are determined to see God move in our community to um, desire to be transformed into the likeness of Christ to operate in unity and brotherly love 
if you are one of those, then you need to really take the armour seriously. So, just summing up, our foundation is truth. Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. So if we haven't got that foundation and we want to skip that part and just get into, I just want to shout on a soapbox the word of God without it having the spirit of God's love in it, then you're not going to be effective. We need to understand Satan's strategies. As I've said, they have not changed in two, three, four, six thousand years because it works. Uh, we must live and operate as spiritual beings. Um, being born again is not just a label. It's the reality of a transformed life. You are now not who you were. You had died and you have risen again in Christ. That's what baptism's all about. So if you don't see yourself as a spiritual being and seeing yourself as a mere human, that, well, of course, I can't do this because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But that is based on patience. And we've got to just yield to God. We've got to take time aside in that quiet place to allow God to work through us, to enable us to be effective in his service. We must protect our hearts. Far too many Christians are getting offended because they don't know the truth about themselves and they don't know the truth about God. So we must protect our hearts because, as said, it's from our hearts that we speak. And as was said um, in Proverbs, guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. If we don't guard our hearts, we're not going to be in a good place. Um, and that's basically it. Um, it's, it's only two that we've covered so far. But if you ignore these two and think, well, I want to get on to Pastor Steve next week because he'll talk about some different ones and not recognise the significance of why the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness is absolutely cr critical to being an effective Christian because it's the foundations of your Christianity through Christ. You can't do it without Christ. Um, you can't say, I'll do all this, but I think I'll believe in Buddha to do it. No, it's through Christ. So please bear this in mind. It's, it's um, a topic that has been bandied around for years. Kids in Sunday school have seen, here's the soldier with all the armor, but let's understand what the significance of it all is and in relation to how we can outwork that through our lives. So if you're not in, the, in that place, then get aside, spend time with God and allow him to reveal the truths to you. Get into the word of God to know the truth and um, your boldness will come through that. It won't come through huffing and puffing. It won't come by putting on the wrong armour or somebody else's armour. Um, when David went to fight Goliath, Saul offered him his, his armour. It was too big, too heavy. And too often, maybe, we want to rely on somebody else's anointing to make our lives different. We have to wear our own armour. It has to be made to fit. We can't take on somebody else's mantle. We can't take on somebody else's blessing or anointing. We have to have it ourselves to be effective in our lives. Um, so thanks for listening 
Um, I hope it's challenged you to think, I need to be serious here. Very soon we'll be getting back together again. Um, we've had a long time away, hopefully used productively. But when we get back together, let's not just be where we were one and a half years ago and go back to the same old, same old. Let's be different. Let's apply these principles and let's see our community change. Thank you.